Good morning, everyone. Are you in shock? Longing for Nathan to return? Well, you may be after this session. He's back next week. But obviously he was struggling and caught in the fossil to finish off this series. But I just want to say what a privilege it is to come and break bread with you as we open the word of God and see what he's got to say to us. We've been doing a series over the last few weeks and the series has been entitled, Who Does God Use? Who does God use to help bring in the kingdom here on earth? And I'm believing it's my responsibility to be the last one on this series and to close it off. If not, then Nathan will have to change that next week. But in starting, I'm going to flash up a word. I'm not going to. Word's going to flash up on the screen. And if we can put that up now, Mark, what immediately comes to mind to you? What image do you get when you see that word? Now, I wonder whether, because I want you to hang on to that, whether there's one or two or three, probably no more, who want to shout maybe a word or something that that means to them. What do you think when you see that word? So do I. I can sit down now. <laughs> what else? What else comes to mind? Christmas. A baby's face. A birth of a child. New life. Well, let me tell you what the dictionary says about that word. It describes us as this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. A feeling of expectation and desire for things to happen. Well, I wonder what your expectation, your feelings of desire are at this moment of time. Now on Thursday, and I remember it's Thursday because of what I'm about to say, I had to go to the supermarket and quickly went and got what I got and as I was coming out in the shopping centre, I noticed a queue of people down the aisles, in the, in the walkway, in the, in the mall. And I thought that was a bit strange because there's not normally a queue of people. And so I was a bit curious and as I got closer to this queue of people and had to dodge my way around them, I realised they were standing out the front or leading out from the newsagents. And as I walked past, I could see a sign that said, this Thursday, Powerball, $100 million. <laughs> and I just thought as I was going past them, these people are living with a hope and an expectation, or maybe it's just wishful thinking, that as they go to that counter and do whatever they have to do and get a ticket, that all their hopes and dreams are going to come true. Well... None of them did, did they? Did I hear that it didn't even go off? So, so there you go, see? Some people know the outcome of that. But I want to I ask you a question this morning, and I want you to think about it, not be distracted by it, but to hold it in your mind throughout this time. And the question is this. What is it that you are hoping or longing for in your life at this very moment? What is the one thing that you are, you are longing for, you are hoping for, 
that will impact your life at this moment in time. You see, hope plays a very significant part in everyone's life. We all hope for something, probably every day. It's an inherent part of, of being a human being. Hope helps us divide or define what we want in our lives and can for some be the one thing that keeps them going above all else. This, this one thing they just hang on to, a hope that things for them might change, that life might make a turn for them, that, that things will become better and it's the only thing that keeps them going. On the other hand, there is nothing more, more tragic, I believe, than to witness people who have lost all sense of hope, who have given up, who have felt that the odds are so against them that it's not worth fighting or hoping for anymore. You know, Scripture Proverbs tells us this, where there is no vision or hope, people perish. And haven't we seen that in people's lives? the tragedy of the fact that hope is lost and they themselves become lost. Because I believe that hope is the one thing that links your past and present to the future. And we all need to feel a deep sense of hope. And we sang this morning, Jesus our redemption, the hope for all mankind. I want to share a story of hope with you this morning. And um, some of you will be aware that a few years ago, Ros and I were appointed um, in our roles in ministry to, to the Salvation Army's head, head office in London. And my role was to, to work within the, the South Pacific East Asia zone of the Salvation Army or of the world. And I had the incredible privilege during that time to travel to most of the countries that the Salvation Army operated on in, in those areas. The very first country that I got to visit was Korea. And while it was all for business and there wasn't much pleasure in it, uh, my guide, who was, who was my translator who was looking after me, told me there was one place where he wanted to take me that I should go and see. And so he took me to this place, and Mark, if you could put the first photo up. It was what they call the DMZ, the demilitarised zone. It's the point between North and South Korea. The final spot that you can travel freely from South Korea before you enter this, this no man's land that takes you into North Korea. And what I saw there, what I witnessed there, what I visualised there was life-changing for me. The first thing we did is we went to a fence. A fence that was, if we can have that next photo up, and I'm sorry I'm in it. But that fence goes for a long way. You can see the barbed wire there because you cannot cross it. And all of those coloured ribbons have on them messages of hope from family members who live in South Korea They've gone to that fence, they've written their message of hope to their families who were trapped in North Korea. And it's the hope for them that because of the brightness of those ribbons, their families from a distance might see them. And their biggest hope is that one day their families will cross over and take those messages off and be reunited with them again. 
But in this terrible scenario, this, this terrible gap between north and south, these people live with this deep sense of hope. So much so that the next thing I was taken to was a railway station. And if we can see the first photo of that, and you'll be pleased to know I'm not in it. This railway station had just been opened. Again, it was at the northernmost point of South Korea. It was a lavish, very modern railway station. But the reality is, it couldn't be used because no trains operated from there to the free world through North Korea. But their government wanted to give their people a sense of hope in a hopeless situation. And so they spent millions of dollars building a railway station that would say to our people, the day will come when you'll be able to get on a train from here and pass through that no man's land to see family and friends. And that railway line would connect you to the rest of the world. There's another photo of it just to show you how lavish it is. There's a waiting area. No one can go there. You can even see a map on the side showing where the links will be. Now that was how many years ago? Six or seven years ago? That that was that. It's still sitting there empty, idle and waiting because there are people who are still living in hope for some who feel they have no hope. Now let me get back to our series this morning. So um, our series is, who does God use to help bring in the kingdom? And the common thread, Nathan started it four weeks ago, and the common thread we, we, we discovered very quickly, very easily. As, as we went through the series, the one thing that stood out was the fact that the common thread in those who God uses is he uses ordinary people, just like you and me, to do extraordinary things under the anointing of God. He doesn't choose to use great and mighty people. He doesn't use people of power, but he uses people, just like you and me, to do what we thought we could never do for his kingdom. And I, what I want to do this morning as we, we finalise this series is to add one other common theme. Not only does God use ordinary people, but he uses ordinary people like you and me to speak words of hope to those who need to hear them in their lives. He wants to use us to do incredible things for the kingdom by speaking his words of hope and life to those who have given up or who feel there is no hope. So over the last few weeks, I think Nathan started talking about the disciples, these smelly fishermen who he called to become fishers of men, to change what was, seems to be hopeless situations in the lives of people, to bring hope to them. And then um, Jacob spoke to us about David, this, this simple little shepherd boy who became a man after God's own heart. And, and, and he became a king to lead God's people. And then last week, Sarah talked to us about Esther, the story of a young Jewish orphan woman chosen to become the king's consort and to influence and save God's people for such a time as this.
all called to venture from the known to the unknown, from the familiar to the unfamiliar, from the safety of their ordinary lives to the seemingly impossible. And I want to say to you this morning, none of these people were born leaders, though I have to say I struggle with that term, born leaders. None of them were born to be leaders. Neither the disciples, neither King David, neither Esther had, had gone and studied and got diplomas in, in leadership abilities and skills. None of them had, had, um, had conflict resolution skills, though I'm sure at times as we hear their stories they probably wish they had. In fact, all of them were anything but qualified. They were a mix of imperfect, flawed, damaged, scarred, frightened individuals. And the Bible's full of stories and accounts of people just like them. People who didn't seek to put their hands up, volunteer, to do some great things for him, but who God used to bring about incredible change in the lives of others. And they did this by offering a vision of hope, of what could be. And this morning I'd like to introduce you to another one of, of, of these people, though I don't think you're going to need much of an introduction. Sorry I'm moving because the light's not working for me. What I've termed this, I've changed the title of Who Does God Use to the Call of the Unqualified because I think they were all unqualified. But before I introduce you to this person, I want to plant a thought in your mind. Because sometimes I think we get the opinion, we get the feeling, we want to convince ourselves, we want to fool ourselves into believing that we come up with these great ideas to build the kingdom of God. And they're not our ideas. So this is what I want to say to you at the start. God is the one who always takes the initiative in executing his plan, whatever that plan might be. He then looks for a person who is willing to submit to him makes that individual aware of a need and then the need of, that becomes that individual person's burden or passion that this God has chosen. And then what often happens next is that person then brings others on board to join the cause. And without any exception, the plan of God is a plan of, to offer future hope in situations where hope has been lost. And so here's who I want to introduce to you this morning. I want to introduce you to Moses. Now, I'm not going to delve too deeply into the story of, of Moses this morning because we'd need a six-month series to do that. It's such an amazing, incredible story. But I encourage you to read the book of Exodus. And though you might think you've heard the story and know the story really well, just go back and look at it and see the hand of God in all of this. The whole narrative about this story of, of, of God redeeming the Israelite people and saving them and taking them out of, of Egyptian oppression and, and them entering the promised land. The whole narrative is about a God of love and justice who has our best interests at heart, who is full of forgiveness and grace and who always keeps his promises. And so for those of you who may not know much about this story, let me give you a two-minute pricey of this whole story. The book of Exodus is an account of God leading his people out of generations of slavery in Egypt and making them into a great nation of people. He does this through one man, Moses. 
And it took God 80 years from the time he first called Moses to the completion of his plan of his people actually entering the promised land. During that time, the, the, the Israelites grew to become not just a handful of families that were held in captivity, but a great nation, a massive ethnic population, big enough to even frighten their captors, the Egyptians who were at that time the most powerful and greatest nation on earth. What started out as an exciting journey full of hope of what could be, the exodus from slavery to freedom, quickly got derailed. What should have been a two-week trip through the desert ended up taking four decades. Gives a whole new meaning to the, to the story, are we there yet, doesn't it? So Exodus records how these people failed to cooperate, doubted, complained about and challenged Moses' leadership, disobeyed the rules and even, even turned their hearts against God himself, all of which delayed their dream by 40 years. Now a spoiler alert for the few of you who may not know the full story. After Moses, this 80 years, 40 years of training, 40 years of leading these people from captivity to the promised land, Moses doesn't even get to enter the promised land. He gets to view it, but he doesn't get to enter it. And that says clearly to me, this is not a story about Moses, but about God. What I want us to focus our attention on this morning is the account of Moses' calling, not the rest of the story. So let me give you a brief background that, that leads to this calling. So just before Moses was born, the Egyptians, or the king of Egypt became really concerned because this, this small group of slaves, this small group of people, Israelites that he'd captured, were growing in number, discovered that the Israelite women were pretty fertile and children were coming all over the place. And he started to fear that if something didn't happen to stop this, then they would grow in number to the point where they would be a threat to them. And so he calls aside two Hebrew midwives. Now, he doesn't instruct them, he commands them, because remember, these are Hebrew slaves. But these are the midwives who do the deliveries of these children. And he, he sends them an instruction, he says to them, this is what you must do. When you, when you attend the birth of a child, if it's a boy, you must kill it straight away. That will then stop this explosion of population. Now, these two midwives decided that they couldn't follow his instructions. They knew it would mean danger for them, but they trusted their God. And so they kept delivering infant baby boys. The king soon discovered that... Um, they weren't following his instructions. Now, it probably took three to six months when he suddenly realised there were still little boys. And so he commanded some of his troops to take over and they were to go and search for every infant male and to throw them in the river so they would drown. It just so happened that in that short period between when these midwives refused to obey the king 
And the king then got his soldiers to destroy infants that Moses was born. And his mother hid him for three months and then realised that, that it was getting too dangerous. What could she do? And so we know the story where she floated him down the river on a little, a little raft, a little basket. And it just so happened that, that the king's daughter found him and claimed him as her own. And he grew up in the palace as a prince. But the incredible story is that when she found him, she needed someone to look after him. And so she got one of the Hebrew slaves to look after him, who just so happened to be his mother. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into the story, but to say that... Um, what happened from there is somehow Moses, as he grew, though he grew as a prince, he knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew he wasn't an Egyptian. And every day he was faced with seeing what his own people were living under. The conditions, the humiliations, the pain, the torture, the beatings that they were facing. And one day as he was going out looking at his troops, he happened to see one of the, the, the Egyptian soldiers bashing in to one of the slaves. And enough was enough. He couldn't take it anymore. And so he bashes into the, into the, the soldier, kills him, hides his body, and then realises that he's going to be found out. And so he escapes and runs to the desert. And so... Cutting that story short, we come to where I want us to focus many years later. And let, me, let us open the word of God. I want you to turn to Exodus. Oh, we're going to see Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 on the, on the screen for you to follow. It says this. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Let's just stop there for a moment. I want to say, isn't that just like God? He has the knack of showing up when we least expect it, in the most unlikely situations and the most unlikely places. Who knows that there is no significance in a burning bush? I've been, I've been interested to read so many accounts of people who have tried to work out why this bush was burning but didn't get consumed. And they take all their energies in focusing on the bush. I want to say to you this morning, it's got nothing to do with a burning bush. It's all to do with God wanting to get Moses' attention. And let's face it, he didn't have too many props or options in the middle of a desert. There were the sheep he was looking after, there was sand, there might have been a few camels, and there were a few bushes. So it was an obvious choice for God to set the bush alight. But what, of, what is of greater, greater significance is where Moses' curiosity is aroused to the point where he says to himself, why isn't that bush burning? 
I must go and see it. This whole Exodus narrative, this story of hope, is not centred around Moses or the, or the ungrateful, compromising Israelites or about how long it took to get from point A to point B. The key player in all of it is God and the incredible way he uses Moses to fulfil his plans. And for me, the most significant part of this whole Exodus story is about what happens next. Because without it, it just becomes a story. So let's turn back to Exodus chapter 3. Let's go to verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites now live. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Moses, before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered him, I will be with you. The encounter at the burning bush may have been the catalyst of an incredible journey for Moses. But that conversation God had with Moses exposes it. It makes abundantly clear the very heart and nature of God himself, revealing a God of mercy and love and justice, a God who knows us intimately and who ultimately cares about us deeply, about a God who offers hope when all hope has been lost. So hear again those words of God. I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries of distress. I am aware of their suffering. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. God saw the oppression and the abuse. He heard the cries of distress from people who had been held captives for generations and who were powerless in themselves to break free. Enough was enough. He couldn't remain silent any longer. He had to act. Strongholds needed to be broken down. So he says to Moses, I have come down to rescue them and to lead them out. The burning bush encounter was a response from the very depth of the heart of God. It was a call. It was anointing over Moses' life to do something about it on God's behalf. Now go, for I am sending you to speak up for those who have no voice, to release those who are living in captivity and oppression, those who were slaves and who were denied justice and equality, those who had had all their basic human rights taken from them, and I then want you to lead them out. Can't you hear the heart of God? As I read it, I sense a heart that's broken broken for his people. 
And everything else that happens from that moment on for the next 40 years is all centered around God's plan to release people from oppression, from slavery, from captivity, to break strongholds and to offer them hope for the future. Because he knows that where there is no hope, the people perish. This is not a story about Moses' rise to being a strategic leader who finally manages to move a people from point A to point B. It's a story about a God of redemption, a God who chooses to release and free people from whatever is holding them back from being who he created them to be. So God used Moses to partner with him in the journey, as unqualified as he was. Because, you see, it had nothing to do with Moses' ability and everything to do with his availability. I want to relate this this story of Moses' calling to a really significant passage in Luke's Gospel. A long time had passed, and this passage is just previous to what Jesus is about to commence his earthly ministry. And Scripture tells him that he goes into the desert for 40 days. The number 40 comes up again, doesn't it? For 40 days he goes into the wilderness where the enemy tempts him. And scripture then tells us he doesn't yield to that temptation, but he comes back full of the Holy Spirit. And the very first thing he did before he started his preaching, started his ministry, was to go to his home temple, the one he'd grown up going to. And it tells us that while he was there in the service, he was asked to take the scroll and read the lesson for the day. Now, the reality is that... When Jesus took hold of the scroll, he didn't read the lesson that was the appointed lesson for the day. This was unheard of. This is not what should have happened. But instead, Jesus opened up the scroll and he reads this passage from Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favour has come. He finishes reading those words from Isaiah 61. He, He rolls the scroll up again, and as he goes to sit down, he says to those in the temple, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. The words he spoke, don't they sound familiar? The heart cry of the father back when he called Moses has now become the mandate of the son. Obviously, in all those intervening years, things had not changed. People were still doing the things that they used to do. And very sadly, I want to say that history keeps repeating itself to this very day. God's message and God's call to Moses and his mandate and the mandate of Jesus is just as relevant and urgent today as it has ever been. Around the world, across this nation, across our city, in our neighbourhoods, within our own families, people are being held captive, they're being held bound, they're being held back. Maybe it's by abuse or addictions or mental health or sickness, or poverty, or or discrimination, or injustice. Maybe it's being held back by feelings of not being good enough, 
never measuring up. Maybe it's about feelings of depression. And whatever it is that's holding these people back, whatever it is that is holding them captive, they long to be released. They want to be set free from the strongholds that have bound them for so long, preventing them from being the people God has called them to be. And I want to say to you this morning, let's hear again the word of God for us in this day. He speaks into our very lives and he says this, I see the oppression of my people every day. I hear their cries of distress and helplessness. I'm aware of their suffering. I see the abuse and injustice so many are subjected to. And just like Moses and David and Esther and the disciples and Jesus himself, God calls, he anoints us to be a voice of hope for those who no longer have a voice, for those who sense that all hope for them has gone. And he speaks to us, he gives to us our own burning bush experience, if you like, our own burning bush encounter. And he speaks into us and says, now go, for I am sending you to lead them out of whatever it is that's holding them captive and to set them free. And I want to say that whenever God speaks those words into us, make no mistake, we're standing on holy ground. I want to refer back to the midwives. How many were aware of the story of those two midwives? They played a really significant part. So let me, let me just explain it to you. These two midwives realised they were slaves, they were politically powerless, they were socially despised, they were economically disadvantaged. They defied the ruler of Egypt to obey the God they served. And their actions helped them to save Moses. If they hadn't gone against the king, Moses would certainly have been killed at birth. But you know that by them saving Moses, they then helped fulfil God's promise by ushering the messianic line. We can follow Moses right through to Jesus himself. And so they helped fulfil God's plan of redemption, not only for the Hebrew people, but for all mankind, for you and for me. Now that's the call of the unqualified. We don't know any more about those two midwives. We can only imagine what may have happened to them. And I want to say to you this morning, we all have had and will continue to have moments where God wants to get our attention, our own personal burning bush experiences, where he chooses to call us to partner with him to bring about his plan of salvation and redemption for others. Remember, God always takes the initiative in executing his plan, whatever it is. He then looks for a person, perhaps it's you this morning, who will submit to him, makes that individual aware of a need, and that that need becomes the personal burden, the passion of the person God has chosen to bring about a deep sense of hope for people and situations where all sense of hope has been lost.
The story of Moses reminds us that God chooses to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things under his anointing to bring about a deep sense of hope to people and situations where all hope is lost. I want to ask you a question this morning. I asked it at the beginning. What are you hoping and longing for in your life at this moment? As you sit here this morning, what are you longing for? Perhaps there are people here who long to be set free like the Egyptians, who long to be released from something in your life that has been holding you back, that's been holding you captive. Are you losing a sense of hope? Are you uncertain about the future? Are you just holding on just by a thread? I want to say to you this morning that God offers you hope. And if you were in those situations, I just want to pray for you this morning. So can we just pray for a moment? Father God, we want to acknowledge that you are king above all kings, that you are all-powerful, that you are Lord, that you are the God of redemption, the God of salvation. And Lord, as we bow before you this morning, you know what's in our very hearts. You know what's going on in our lives. And like with, with the Egyptian people, God, with, with the Israelite people, you see what's happening in our lives. And if it's not in tune with you, your heart breaks. And you long to release us. And so, Father, I just pray for those who are feeling a sense of hopelessness, those who feel bound, Lord, that you would break the strongholds this morning, that you would come to them afresh and offer them hope above all other things, I pray in your name. Let me also ask you one other question. In your sphere of influence, maybe amongst your family, your friends, your workplace, your neighbourhood, what is God calling you to do to bring hope into seemingly hopeless situations? Is there someone in your life that needs to hear that word of hope? Because perhaps God is calling you to be the voice that they need, to be his voice, to speak over them. You know, we sang a little earlier, Jesus, our redemption, is the hope for all mankind. He chooses to anoint us and partner with us to bring hope. And one thing that stands out from me from last week, during our service, we were asked, I think, to speak prayers out aloud. And Nick prayed this prayer, just four words. God, save my school. I felt the heart of God in that prayer. I felt Nick saying, people in my school are living without hope. They don't know that there is a redemption plan for them. God, I want you to do something. And while I have no doubt he's using Nick, maybe for some of us in our own mind, we need to voice our own prayer. God, help my partner. God, help my child. God, help my friend, God help my workmate, who are living without hope, 
because God, you can offer them hope. And my prayer for us is that God break our hearts for what breaks yours. We're standing on holy ground this morning. As we conclude and as you think those two questions through, what are my hopes? What about the hopes of other people in my lives? We're going to finish by singing that incredible song, Jesus over everything. Believe the words, pray them. Allow God to speak to you and be available to him because his message of hope to us this morning is he uses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things to bring about his kingdom. Let's stand as we sing.